Welcome to Peak Mind. I'm your host, Michael Trainer. I'm extremely excited for this week's episode, a continuation of last week's extraordinarily successful episode with the one and only Ben Nemtin. Ben is a number one New York Times bestselling author. He was also star of the wildly popular MTV show, The Buried Life, where he articulated a hundred things that he would like to do in this lifetime to live a life without regret and achieved the extraordinary. Played basketball with President Obama, uh, did some of the coolest things ever, but even cooler in my view, decided that for every aspect of the list that he was able to check off, he would help someone else to live their dream. So I really love uh, Ben, he's a dear, dear friend. I've known him for quite a number of years. And this is actually a bonus episode in a way because we had recorded during the time of coronavirus, even though we're next door neighbors, we recorded over uh, Skype. But I've been wanting to sit down with him for some time because he has developed, he pivoted from a, a production career into public speaking and in a very short period of time became very, very successful and was getting booked left and right. I was always seeing him on a huge stage, tens of thousands of people, um, getting booked by some of the biggest corporations and organizations. And so this episode is really for those of you out there that want to get into the business of public speaking. If you're not really interested in public speaking or the business of public speaking, probably go check out one of my other episodes. The last one with Ben was wonderful about living your dreams and dying without regret. But if you are interested in the business of public speaking, this episode is for you. We kind of veered into the topic and then went super deep. I think you're going to get a tremendous amount of value out of it. Uh, if you haven't gone ahead and left us a five-star review on Apple, it would mean the world to me because I'm about to hit 100 episodes. I'm so, so grateful to all of those of you that have left a review. Um, but I'm going to go hard and I'm going to go after some amazing guests. And the reviews really help me to do so. They also help us move up the algorithm and build the community. So thank you guys so much for that. I want to take a quick uh, moment to shout out our partners, two of my favorite brands and companies. The first is One Farm. One Farm is my go-to uh, CBD company. And for the month of July, depending on when you're listening to this, uh, they will be, will be actually giving away some free product. So if you go on One Farm, if you go on my Instagram at Michael Trainer, you'll see the full uh, campaign rules. But you can win uh, some amazing product. They have one of the highest quality CBDs on the market. Uh, it's all hand picked, organic. It's my go-to. I use their turmeric for its anti-inflammatory properties. Um, I absolutely love it. Um, they're also going to be giving a portion of proceeds through the month of July to Charity Water. Um, so just a really uh, integrous brand. I'm a huge fan. Uh, check them out, onefarm.com, O-N-E-F-A-R-M.com, backslash peak, and you'll get 20% off your order. And they'll also donate, if you're listening to this in the month of July 2020, 20% uh, of the proceeds to Charity Water. Uh, onefarm.com backslash people. This episode is also brought to you by another of my favorite companies, which is Blue Blocks. Blue Blocks is, are my go-to source for blue light blocking glasses. I'm recording this in the nighttime hours, uh, and when I record 
and work on my computer at night, which I'm doing right now for my book proposal. Uh, I like to use blue blocks because they help me maintain my circadian rhythms and stay in a very good way as it relates to my sleep hygiene. I went deep on the topic with the founder, Andy Mant. Um, you can hear all about uh, light hygiene. It's not often talked about, but I think really, really important for your health uh, in one of my previous podcasts. You can check them out at blueblocks, B-L-U-B-L-O-X.com. And if you put in Peak Mind, you get 15% off your order. I have four or five pairs. I use their clear light for the daytime, their yellow and their red light blocking glasses. I also have their sleep mask and can't speak highly enough about the product. Blueblocks.com uh, and Peak Mind for 15% at checkout. With that, without further ado, it's my great pleasure to introduce the one and only Ben Nemton. Now you'll notice we kind of entered this conversation midstream. If you want part one, go to the last episode. And here we go with part two of my talk with the one and only Ben Nemton. Number of my listeners that are speakers or, or would like to be more professional in their speaking, get paid more money, get more keynotes. Um, yeah. Can you distill down some actual tactical pieces? Because you transition, and in very short order, I mean, you know, to blow your horn a little bit. I mean, you're 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 doing well. Uh, you're 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 very dynamic. You're you're a compelling public speaker. Um, obviously, you can get a taste of that through the course of the episode. But uh, but you're getting booked by some very very significant uh, entities, events, corporations, etc. Um, I, you know, that doesn't happen for most people overnight. For those who, who feel like they have an area of expertise, a gift, a, a message they want to share with the world, what are some, you know, you know, it may, it may, maybe it's principles or maybe it's actually like real tactical, like you, you got to do this for the name, you know, what are some key insights that you've garnered from professionalizing yourself as a, uh, as a keynote speaker? I think the most important thing you can do is get yourself on as many stages as possible and try and get on stages that are high production value. Mm. So what I mean by that is a stage that looks like it's a professional stage. You know, it's got proper lighting. It looks like there's more than a hundred people. Um, and they don't have to be paid speaking engagements volunteer, uh, to, to, to get on these stages because what's the most valuable thing to you is tape, right? So you want to be recording any speaking engagement that is on a high production stage. And the reason you want to be recording these speaking engagements is because ultimately you need three to five of those to create a speaker reel. Because your speaker reel is your single most important asset to sell you as a keynote speaker. Because the buyers in the speaking world are event planners. And event planners either work in-house at a company, like let's say Lincoln Financial or Home Depot, right? They have maybe five to ten event planners that plan hundreds of meetings a year. And those event planners are your uh, buyers. So they are looking at dozens of speakers for every event and choosing the right speaker. If they've never seen you speak or they've never heard of you, they're not going to book you until they see you speak uh, in a reel. And so you got you want to do whatever you can to collect footage so that you can then edit a reel and and that is one of your that's your biggest asset. And there's other things that you want to collect. So I look at it as like you, if as a sort of budding keynote speaker, this is your collecting phase. You're harvesting. You want to harvest video from these events. You want to harvest logos from companies that you spoke to that are recognizable. 
So that means like any company that you've spoken to in the past, you know, that's your credential. You've spoken there. That's going to go on your website. That's going to go on your reel. You want to harvest testimonials. Anyone you've spoken to that is a notable company that has a senior level role, even if they don't have a senior level role, if it's a notable company, collect a testimonial. Even if you spoke to them, you know, three years ago, you spoke there and you made an impact and ask if you could grab a testimonial. Because what you're doing is you're collecting, you're harvesting your credentials. And what you want as a keynote speaker is you want to, you want to collect those credentials and you want to uh, build a package that is sellable to these event planners. And really what you were doing is you want to de-risk yourself. Mm-hmm. Because, a, because an event planner, the only reason they lose their job is that they hire a bad speaker. <laughs> I mean, like that, that there's, there's many ways that they can lose their job, but like one of the ways is like their job is to hire speakers that don't suck. Mm-hmm. So they would rather hire a speaker. And this is just generalizing. This is not all event planners. They would rather hire a speaker that they know is good rather than take a risk on a speaker that might be great, but also might make them look bad. So you need to show them that you're not going to make them look bad. So, you know, th- th- those are really, I would say, like at the top level. Then you're going to use those assets to build a website, and you can model your website out after mine, you know, or you can model your website after any speaker that is that is doing really well or that you respect. Um, and you can you can find an editor that is really good. If you uh, email me, I can put you in touch with my editor who did my reel. Um, you, but. You, you want to get on those those stages to begin with because you, you can't work with bureaus and speaker bureaus are like your agents. They are the ones that work with the meeting planners. So they're selling you, but they're not going to sell you unless you have those things to give them the tools to sell. Unless, of course, you're, you know, Richard Branson or, you know, if you have notoriety and you're a household name or you're in an industry, then you're going to sell directly to industry and you're, you're a household name in that industry. You may not need these assets. But for me, you know, for other people that don't, this is what they do. Now, it's a chicken and egg because people might be saying, well, how do I get on good stages if I don't have a reel to get on good stages? And that is the, that's the tricky part. You have to work really hard to pull favors. You have to do a TEDx talk, right? If you need three to five high-quality speaking engagements to build a reel, a TEDx talk can be one of them for sure. Just make sure the TEDx talk is high production value. Yeah. Like watch – the last years and make sure that it's a good one. So, you know, you can just sort of, um, do whatever you can to, to find that. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm happy to, to go into it more. And I, I also don't want to ostracize other listeners that are just like, I don't care. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> no, I think what, uh, I'll, yeah, what, what I'll actually do is Ben is I'm going to actually turn, I'll turn this into a mini episode. So I'm going to do one and two. So I'll actually, um, if you, if you're up for it, we'll just I'll just ask a couple more questions, and actually I'm yeah. gonna make this a designated episode um, on okay, speaking cool. stuff because I think actually certain people would be very very interested in this. Um, yeah, yeah. If the you, other thing I'll mention before I forget, and you can put these in the show notes, is I yeah. wrote an article um, about how to ten tricks I use to overcome the fear of public speaking because I you know as you know like fear of public speaking is like the number one fear in, in America. Um, you know, or at least it, it was. I, I haven't checked recently, but there's definitely that 
that Seinfeld joke where he's like people at the funeral would rather be doing be, instead of they would rather be dead in the casket than doing the eulogy or some way sort of. Uh, yeah, so they said it was the number one fear uh, for for a long time. Whether that's accurate or not, I don't know, but it definitely scares the bejesus out of many people. Yeah, and it's terrifying. And you need to know that that fear never goes away. Right. So just be okay with that. <laughs> you know, like that, 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 that. That's why sort of my, I would say the second piece of advice, once you, um, yeah, that's kind of the business side, right? The, the, the craft side, you know, actually crafting uh, or the art of speaking. The real secret there is just do it again and again and again. Mm-hmm. Like it's a muscle. The more you do it, the more comfortable you become, you become comfortable with that uncomfortable um, feeling, right? You, be, you become comfortable with that anxiety. You become comfortable with that unease. And that is what you are moving towards. You're not moving towards not having that anxiety or that nervousness. But you're moving towards identifying that that anxiety, a lot of that is also excitement. And excitement and anxiety are very similar feelings. And when you feel anxious before, let's say, a big talk, what I do now is I like I say, "Wow, I'm really, I guess I'm excited for this, mm-hmm. right?" Like that, that's excitement. And I turn that into excitement, and I take a little bit of control over that feeling, and I become, instead of anxious, I become a little bit excited. And that means that it's a big engagement. That means that it really means something. That means that I'm going to perform at the highest level. And I really need to prepare and, you know, and to make sure that when I step on stage, I've done everything I can. And, and again, that's another piece like you, you, when you, when you speak, it, it takes a lot of preparation. And when you see someone speak and let's say they're, you know, doing a keynote, you, you, you're like, wow, how did they, how did they do that for an hour? Like that was just buttoned up. Every piece of it was dialed in. Jokes were good. You know, they really just nailed that full hour that was crazy well it's the same when you see a comedian if you see a comedian do a routine they're funny as hell well they're funny as hell because they've done it a thousand times and they've tested all those jokes and they've done them in the back rooms of clubs and they, then they did them at colleges and then they did smaller theaters and then they did larger theaters and then finally they did the, they did the Netflix special after yeah. they've done two years of doing that routine so that's what it takes to build um, a keynote, right? And I would also say, you know, but then it also add to that whatever experience you need uh, or you've built over your career to have something that's that uses that value and in something that's really sort of the credential to say it. Um, yeah, let me ask. Let me dial in on that because that's a particular question that I've had in my for myself, for example. Because there's a couple different things that I've spoken about. But if I were to think about many speakers, in, inclusive of yourself, I would say, to me at least, um, I think of you, and I and I and, and I think this is where you want to be. But I'm I'm actually asking this as a question, a little bit of a loaded question, because I have my own bias. 
where it's like I feel like if I think of Ben Nempton, I think of a particular genre. I'm like I want to I want a bucket list people to walk out feeling like wow, like you're evoking in them a part of themselves that's been dormant for a long time. They're fired up. It's beyond motivation. They have a plan. Like I feel like if I were, to, and I'm just guessing, if I were to distill as an event planner, that's a secret sauce, I'm thinking of you for that. Like, and, I don't, and also don't think there's a lot of other people that I could think of that kind of fall in that niche, but yet it's very, it's got crossover appeal. Like I can imagine it, it works for corporate. It would work for like some, it's, it would work for whatever context. And for those who may feel like, well, hey, I could talk about three or four different things. Do you think it's smarter to double down on one niche? And I imagine in the context of a speaking reel, you kind of have to, because I would imagine there's kind of a through line narrative you're putting together. Um, but so, so do you focus on one niche or are you do you say, hey, I can talk about these five things? In short, you focus on one thing. Yeah. Especially when you're starting out. Uh, th- that would be my, um, my, my experience. Um, and the reason, uh, being is that just like a book, you want to be able to understand it in one sentence. Mm. You know, you, you need that one hook that people really understand what the hell you're talking about. And, um, the question is, how do you find that? If you are proficient in many different areas or you have many things to say, um, how do you say, how do you choose? Well, in the reality is you could probably say all of those things in your one lane, Mm. but you just need the tip of the spear to be, uh, your focus. Right. And, and ultimately speakers will have, I would say all speakers, you know, at, at a certain level have many different talks that focus on many different things. But 95% of their talks are one talk that they shift and change depending on the client and they cater towards the audience and it, it shifts a lot. But it's it's sort of that's their bread and butter. Mm. And that's kind of what you want to find out. And you may find that out just by testing it, you know, testing different talks with different audiences just to see what 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 fits. Um, but for me, you know, my my tip of the spear is, you know, impossible as possible, you know, or, or the bucket list idea, right? Like this, that's sort of the tip of the spear. But everything that we spoke about today, I speak about in my talks. Yeah. Right? I talk about mental health. I talk about stigma. I talk about my entire crazy story. I talk about uh, steps to achieve the impossible. And I talk about uh, I, and I do exercises where people actually turn that inspiration into action. So I, I do list writing workshops and I do sharing exercises and I identify these, this, these problems that we face with our personal goals and how to overcome them. And, but I do it in a way where it all feels like it's one product, like mm. it's one package. And that's the art of speaking is your creating a, a piece of theater at the end of the day, right? You're creating a one hour performance and that one hour performance in, in my mind. And again, you know, I'm new at this. So this is just from my experience that one hour performance, you want to gain the trust of the audience. Mm-hmm. And usually you, I find you do that by being vulnerable and being open about something that makes you vulnerable 
mm-hmm. at the beginning or near the beginning of your presentation. You make people laugh. Ideally, you make them cry. And you give them real takeaway that will impact their life mm. outside of the keynote that they can walk away with. And you leave them with a certain feeling. And that feeling, you know, for me, my goal is to leave them just buzzing. Mm. And that energy extends throughout the entire conference, throughout the entire three days, past the three days when they go home, into their family life, when they talk with their family about their family bucket list, into their corporations where their leaders are then asking their employees, hey, what's on your list? How can we help? You know, we care about you more than just the professional side. We care about you as a whole person, you know, into through activations and other things. So, um, but you drop back to that, uh, that kind of main, that, that point of the spear, which is impossible, you know, impossible, impossible. So, uh, that, that I think, you know, when you think about all, oh, okay, I have, I have all these things that I think are important to talk about, right? If that's what you're thinking about, I have all these truths that I could talk about this. I could talk about this. I could talk about this. How can you pull those nuggets into a narrative? So how can you take all those things that you believe are unfuckable with? These are the, the core truths that if you had to pass on thing, these nuggets of wisdom on your deathbed, <laughs> what would they be like? That's how good these things have to be. Yeah. Like you, no one can mess with them. Those are your pillars of your presentation. How can you connect those with a story? And then how can you start to insert laughter, you know, real emotion, um, vulnerability, and takeaway, and have it all feel like they just sat through a one-hour movie? Yeah. So beautifully said, man. Uh, there's a, there's a there's a, a qua- I've been playing with in my book this idea of archetypes, and there's four archetypes, and it re- it relates to what you just shared. Um, but in the context of public speaking, when I was part of my training, I think of many many public speakers, not yourself, but many public speakers. I think in an, in the antiquated paradigm, would kind of come from a place of trying to just sim- simply demonstrate intellectual. Uh, capacity, kind of wow you with you know their egos, and yes. and in the school that I that I that I was kind of learning in, they articulated four archetypes, which is uh, you want and, and I thought this was interesting because the context was that you want to be evoking. So if you're thinking about your audience and what I loved about what you just shared about the laughter, the emotion, um, is you speak, you kind of speak to this, but I want to get your take on it is these archetypes as I've kind of been articulating it is there's a kind of the promoter, the analyzer, the controller, and uh, the supporter. Um, So basically there's people that come to the room with a very different sensibility. You know, we all know friends, uh, for example, I would call you know, your mutual friend Caduce MTV. He's a promoter, right? Like every time I see Caduce, he's, you know, something's up and he's, sh- you know, and it's like you could see how he's naturally like, uh, you know, a host because his his nature, his essence is, is, is a promoter. Um, but then there's other people in the audience. It's like if you don't give me like the Harvard research, right, I'm not going to believe what you're saying. 
because mm-hmm. wh- who am I to believe you, right? Those are the analyzers. So in essence, and the controllers and the support, supporters want to feel like you've got the back of the person next to you. You know, the mm-hmm. controllers want to be kind of in control. And what I love about that, that notion and this thing is like, how do you evoke and how do you speak ideally through the course of one presentation to each person in that room, right? Like, how do you... How do you uh, how do you share the the humor? How do you, but how do you present the research? How do you share emotionally in that vulnerability, such that ideally each of those people that are looking at their that talk through a different lens um, mm-hmm. are all evoked, right? Like, yeah. and and to me, I feel like those elements that you broke down would do that, right? Because if you if you're which you have, like right in the context of our conversation, if you're mentioning research, but you're also yeah. coming from a place of vulnerability. And you can yep. bring in the humor, which I think that's the trickier piece. Not everyone feels comfortable with that. But I think, like you said, and I know this to be true, like even Dave Chappelle is, is starting off his routine literally at like 20 person comedy clubs, you know, like. So I think you can't like that idea yeah. of working that muscle works. Um, but have you found are there any other tenants that you can think of? One, one does that resonate with you? Like, are you ha, ha, yeah. are there tools that you feel like evoke the audience and and um, one and and are there any other elements aside from humor, uh, uh, vulnerability, uh, you know, perhaps really compelling information that you feel are essential to a great talk? The the most important thing about the talk, in my experience, is that it's entertaining. Mm. People want to be entertained. Mm. They are at a conference. They are with their friends, their colleagues. They are in Orlando or they're in Denver or they're in Miami or, you know, sometimes they're overseas in Puerto Rico or some, you know, a destination. Um, and 85% of people, they just want to be entertained and they want takeaway. But that's the most important thing. I think that that is something that's overlooked, especially when you think about people wanting to go and just sort of spew their expertise is like not as many people care, (laughs) but what, but what people care about is being entertained Mm -hmm. and, 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 and feeling the emotional spectrum and getting like feeling that they have received things that really impact their life. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, you need research and you need data driven um, takeaway for those that are more analytical and you need, um, to open up and be vulnerable to, to earn the trust of those that like may have their guard up, right? Who is this person that's up here that looks like he's 14 years old and from an MTV show, (laughs) you know, and is talking about a fucking bucket list (laughs) and like you're at a financial planners, you know, uh, conference. So, you know, you have to, you have to think about all those types of people in the audience and what they're going to need. But man, if you make them laugh, if you make them cry, if you give them something that is going to impact them and their family and you, you are entertaining throughout the whole process, they're going to remember you and it's going to be a good experience for them. You know, like think about if you are okay. So, and, and listen, actually I, I need to wrap this with some context because 
I am a motivational speaker, right? So like I'm be, I'm brought in to fill this void. If you are um, a speaker and you're speaking specifically on healthcare and you're brought in for a specific reason, you know, your content is going to be a lot more uh, data-driven or research and you're going to be talking from your expertise. But I guarantee you, even if that is your topic, if you inject humor and you create you are able to entertain in, 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 in more of a robust way, if you are able to evoke emotion, if you are able to be vulnerable, that, all, that just deepens the experience for the audience. And so um, I think it's, it's, it's really important to, to keep that in mind when you're crafting your remarks. Yeah. I, uh, one speaker, and I'd just like to get your pr- perspective on this. So I've watched a fair amount of Gary Vaynerchuk's talks. Um, and uh, I don't know if, how familiar you are with Gary, but he's, uh, he's definitely uh, controversial, I think off-putting, uh, uses profanity uh, quite regularly, um, but seemingly is, uh, is a highly sought-after and booked public speaker, even though he doesn't fit into the mold. And as I distilled that down, I think in some ways it's because he is very entertaining, to your point, uh, and also very authentic, which I feel like people, at least in my belief, I think right now especially, people are craving for that authenticity. And... Um, in your experience, I mean, for those who are thinking about um, taking their message onto bigger stages, whether they're virtual stages in the form of a podcast or or their physical stages in the form of a keynote speech, um, it sounds like obviously you put great a great deal of thought and effort into codifying, testing, and and frankly, getting feedback on your message, which I imagine when you're seeking <laughs> testimonials, you get that you get that feedback. Um, mm-hmm. But w- w- what do you think people who are, who are not quite as far along as, as you are, is there, is there any great insight you can give into, into both honing that message and, the be- and, and, and not only just honing it, but also sort of um, starting to professionalize it um, such that, and I, obviously the, the real, the, the information you gave on the real, I think is super helpful as well as the website. But I imagine at least many of the speakers that I've that I've seen who are now making their living of the speaking almost seems to be like uh, the front end of what they do. You know, a lot of times they're doing workshops or they're doing. Uh, but you know, how do you think about the talk kind of as a platform for an ecosystem in your world of other things that you're up to? So two answers. First, <clears throat> I'll speak to the Gary the example that you mentioned, and I think that you are absolutely right. People love Gary Vee because he's authentic and that's who he is, but that's, and that's also his brand. And it's, uh, it's, it's something that stands out and really it gets butts in seats, right? I mean, he's a, he's a, he's a huge personality and name. Yeah. So that is, um, a big driver for these conferences that are, especially that are either ticketed, you know, events. And so, but you, but you brought up a good point because authenticity, I think, is something that we may not have touched on, but is is so key. And it's again a bit of a chicken and egg scenario because how can you be authentic if you feel very nervous or you're unsure about your content or you're stepping on stage for the first time? That just takes repetition. And again, that's that muscle that we need to build by just doing more and more. And a great program is Toastmasters, hmm. which is. Uh, I haven't personally done it, but I've heard from other people and from Tim Ferriss that that is uh, 
something that is a great program to go through if you're learning, want to learn how to be a better public speaker. So, um, and while we're on the topic, another good resource that I've used that I that I thought was great is a, a one day speaker boot camp in Detroit called Three Ring Circus, mm. which is put on by my friend Josh Linkner, who's a phenomenal and legendary public speaker, keynote speaker, I should say, who's been in the business for a very long time, speaks about innovation and creativity. And so he runs this one day boot camp, and it basically it's the A to Z on the business of speaking and everything you would want to know about how speaking works. Uh, whether it's the business sides or, and also on the craft side. So it's just a crash course on the speaking world. And he started doing that a couple of years ago and it's uh, become quite popular. So if you're very serious about speaking, I would invest in that program. Um, three ring circus. Three ring circus. Yeah. And so the, so to your second question, um, it was it around how do people prepare? Yeah. How, 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 how do you prepare to make the step? It's, it's kind of a two-part, it was a, a little bit obtuse, two-part question. How do you prepare to make that step? And then as you're thinking about making that step, and I, and I loved how tactical you got on the business side of making your reel, um, how do you think about an ecosystem? So, so now, for example, is it, it would be an astute point, right? Because you and I, kind of before we jumped into this, you are a highly booked, highly sought-after public speaker in a, in a time when people will know not be able to go to public talks, right? So, um, you know, and I imagine, um, you know, in, in good times where that's not an issue, people are oftentimes thinking about, and I hesitate to use this because it sounds, uh, frankly, douchey, but uh, selling from stage is, is something like I know there's a guy, um, uh, you know, Taylor Conroy is a friend of mine who actually does a, a speaker training. And there's this guy, Pete Vargas, who I've also seen, who, who, I, who I like quite a bit. But he talks about selling from stages. And I think that can be done well. And I think it can be done in a way that's kind of douchey, where you feel like you're just kind of being like the whole point of the talk is just to sell you something. But I do mm-hmm. feel like there's, w- there's ways in which it can actually be the ideal platform if you're up to, whether it be workshops or, you know, if you do have a book or you do do trainings or you do have an online program. Like, I feel like the, if, you, if you nail a great keynote, it's a product yeah. in and of its own right. And I'm, again, I'm speaking now from a business frame. But yeah. I also think it's the best springboard possible, right? Because if you've mm-hmm. done all the things you articulated well, which is you've mm-hmm. created an, 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 a moment of emotional resonance, it's also yep. a better time than any. Like if I were to use the analogy of uh, perhaps a crass analogy, but dating, right? Like mm-hmm. you just had probably the best dinner date you've ever had. So that, now's the time to ask for another date. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. just to say like one of the ways in which someone should think about the narrative arc, not just of the talk, but yep. of the career. Yeah, it's a good question. So from the keynote perspective, just sort of that uh, you know, what comes, what can come out of the, the keynote. And I think that you mentioned a few of them. Like, so one is obviously books, right? So that's probably the, uh, the number one thing that I see with, with speakers is, uh, they're selling their book after the keynote or you sell it as part of your deal. Mm-hmm. So your bulk selling X number of books, depending on what the audience is, with your keynote and it's baked into your price, the books. Um, so, or, and, and, or you, 
do some for giveaways or, you know, you sign some for the leadership or you do a book signing afterwards and a bookseller comes in. I mean, there's, there's a lot of different ways to uh, get the books out of the keynotes, but that is probably one of the biggest things that happens. And then, you know, and so another one is just getting people's information because it's, as you said, you are really, you have one hour of someone's undivided attention and hopefully you've made a real imprint on them and you want to continue that relationship. And that's, uh, you know, sometimes a delicate thing to do. You don't want to do it in a way that is just obviously fishing. Yeah. You want to do it in a way that it enhances their experience and enhances your keynote. Mm-hmm. So, um, the way that I like to do it is I like to offer people something so that, they can walk away with actual tangible piece of, uh, you know, knowledge really. So what I do is I do a text opt in. So I'd have people live, like as I'm about to go through the five steps to make the impossible possible is like, Hey, um, if you want to walk home with this, or if you want me to text this to you now, bring out your phone and text the word possible to three, three, seven, seven, seven people bring out their phone. And if they want to do it, they do it. And if they don't, they don't. But most people, do because at that point this is what I'm driving towards the entire one hour and they're going to have everything that I'm about to say and more in a PDF so you know why not have that and then for me it's about being thoughtful about how do I want to build that community um, through newsletters and through you know other means and stuff like that so um, and then a, a lot of people sell consulting Right. So they will do a keynote to get in the door with an organization and then they offer the consulting services. Uh, some people offer workshops. I think workshops is like sometimes I'll do a workshop as an add on to a keynote. Um, and that's just part of my fee structure. But uh, for the most part, there, you know, from what I've seen is your you're, you're either doing keynotes or you're doing workshops. There's two different types of speakers. Mm-hmm. There's keynote speakers and there's workshop uh, facilitators or speakers that are doing workshops. And it just depends on what you feel like your strengths are. Um, typically, there's the general session, main stage keynotes, and then there'll be dozens of other kind of offshoots in different rooms and different, gen- different uh, workshop sessions that's kind of a choose-your-own-adventure for the attendees. So sometimes you do a keynote and I'll also do a workshop, but I'll, I'll, I won't do just workshops typically, um, just because I'm really driving for the keynote because that's kind of the premier. It's, it's, that's the the headline position. Yes. And that's just all. Yeah. And, and typically those will get the higher fees and you'll have a bigger audience and stuff like that. But doesn't mean that you can't make less of an impact, you know, or you will make less of it with the workshops. In the workshops, you actually have more flexibility, right? You can do more things in the workshops in terms of interaction. You are more, it's more personal. Um, you can, uh, you're, if you're a facilitator, that's where you want to be. Yeah. Um, so, and you can also, the thing with workshops is then you can start training trainers to do your workshops, right? So then you start to think about scaling speaking and how can you get other people to do what you're doing so that the you're confined as a speaker with the, with the number of days on the calendar, yeah. right? So I can only be in one place at one time. I can't be in two places at two times. Therefore, 
there's only so much I can go. Oh, it's so high I can go. There's only so much I can scale. So can I can I start to train people to do my keynote? Mm, you know, maybe. Well, I probably have a better chance of training people to do my workshops. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's that model as well. Um, and so there, and there's also info products, right? So you start thinking about what info products could you offer to extend the impact. And so there's some of the things that I'm thinking about. Um, but you said, you know, you were, you just had a great date. You want to, uh, strike again while the, you know, <laughs> while the heart is warm, uh, and, uh, see how you can deepen that relationship. Because sometimes, you know, for even just for the keynotes, you know, I've gone back, let's say, you know, six, seven times to the same company to do a keynote, um, because they're huge organizations and there's tons of events and, there's client events, there's leadership, right? There's, there's new leaders. There's just the general, you know, population that is, or the, the team members in the company. So, um, and then outside of the keynotes, I think that what you want to remember is that you are speaking because you're a thought leader. And if you don't invest in your thought leadership, uh, you will no longer be a thought leader. Mm-hmm. So you, you also have to remember to take time to uh, do things to deepen that expertise, yep. whether it's like things like podcast or it's just traditional PR, it's building your own social community, it's uh, you know creating products or you know books and uh, other things that are going to define you as that leader. Uh, oh, you know, there are many different things that you can do, but so that is something that's important not to lose sight of because you can you can ride a wave but that wave may not last forever so you got to continue to uh increase your expertise always be reinventing yourself uh, yes yeah. and deep deepening deep, your deep, wisdom deep. and sharing it in more ideally new new ways that uh engage and enrich your audience yeah yep I love it, my man. Well, I want to thank you because we we actually uh, we dove into uh, unannounced. We dove into doing two episodes in, in one, but I but I think it's um, I, I think it's super valuable. I think um, one one kind of goes. I think really speaks to the why uh, for all of us of how we can really utilize this time to to you know, get clear on, on what we really value in life and how we can build a kind of a roadmap, if you will, to getting there. Um, and the second, which is also frankly, deeply interesting to me, you know, I mean, I, I did a, a, a great deal of speaking, um, during global citizen and have fortunately have some incredible, um, stages, uh, so to speak, uh, that I've, that I've been able to speak to, uh, and in it, it, it's, unequivocally an element of my story and unfolding, you know, to a degree in, in the book insofar as some of the tenets and principles I used. But interestingly enough, it's not my current focus. So it's, it's all, it took me a long time in the same spirit of what we talked about in that first episode of like, okay, what's the recycle? What's the, what's the new journey? And it's always tempting to go back to the thing that, you know, is the shiniest for other people, you know, the sort of shiniest Mm -hmm. object, but to, but instead to, of course, utilize that aspect in an authentic way, in a way that is of service to the message, 
but also to do it in a way that's, I think, deeply vulnerable, deeply humble, but also will serve the greatest number of people. So, um, so I'm still working on that, but I, but I look forward to, uh, to sharing it soon. And, I'm, and unfortunately, we now all have time to sort of deeply delve into what we want our message to be. So um, where can people find you, Ben Nempton? Uh, just on social is probably the best. Uh, on all the things, it's at my full name, at Ben Nempton. And uh, shoot me your list. If you want to send me an email, it's b at bennempton.com. But I'd love to uh, keep tabs on all the successes. <laughs> I love seeing <laughs> the list items come to fruition. So share, me, share photos of your su- successes or just share your list with me. And, uh, yeah, hopefully we can all keep each other accountable and uh, drive ourselves forward. Yeah, man, I'd love that. Yeah, share share it with me as well because uh, part of why I do this um, is one. I mean, well, you, you've been a friend for ten years, but but also, I mean, it, it, even in this day, I mean, as I write about relationships, even though we're we're good friends, I mean, that we haven't had two hours of undivided attention. I think that's part of the reason, honestly, and I talk about that in the book. Creating platforms like this, like speaking, like podcasts. I think yeah. are, are real tools of our time because it's so rare to get an hour of someone's undivided attention just because yeah. that's the world we live in. So you've given me two hours of your undivided attention and I'm profoundly grateful for that, Ben. And I know the audience is, and I just want to honor and acknowledge you for uh, the stand that you are in the world, uh, for the number of people that you've helped uh, realize their dreams and their list. And uh, for the message you're, you're putting out there, I know it's going to serve a great many people. So thank you so much. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate I appreciate it. Yeah, it's a pleasure, man. And there you have it. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Ben Nempton. I know that if you're interested in the business of public speaking, this is a great, great information-packed episode. Thank you guys so much for your time and your attention. It means the world to me. I'm so grateful for your energy. I hope you guys are doing well out there. As always, please feel free to reach out anytime at Michael Trainer. Uh, you can also ping at Ben Nempton and let us know what you thought. We had a great uh, outreach from one of the listeners that shared her bucket list. Uh, from the last episode. I'd love any of your thoughts or feedback. And uh, if you haven't, please go ahead and leave a rating review on Apple. That really helps us move up the algorithm. Share it with a friend. If you have a friend that's really interested in public speaking and doing well with public speaking, it'd be wonderful if you shared it. And uh, if you haven't yet, subscribe. Uh, Those are the things that you can do to support the show. Um, I greatly appreciate your time and energy. I don't take it for granted. Uh, I'm going to bring you guys more and more amazing guests. Sending you guys so much love. Until next time, go out there and live your inspired life.